What an amazing God. <laughs> we have nothing to bring to Him, right? Except ourselves, our lives. He has done everything. He came among us. He called us to Himself. Uh, he forgives us when we ask Him to, and He gives us life. And He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can live the life that He wants us to live. What an incredible God. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. Good to see you all. And um, I want to bring us to a, a, an important verse of Scripture and then a passage of Scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, Be imitators, therefore, as dearly loved children of God. Be imitators of God. So he refers back to chapter 4. It's an amazing verse of Scripture, isn't it? Be imitators of God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, speak to us, I pray. There's not a one of us in this place that does not have a need. And there's not a one of us in this place that does not need a word from God. And I pray that out of your love and out of the resources of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And let your word go out to the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Well, back uh, many years ago, I had this incredible privilege of being a part of a male quartet at Roberts Wesleyan College. Now, male quartets aren't much these days, but back in the 40s and 50s and part of 60s, male quartets were big things in the country. All of the colleges had them and, and other organizations had them, and we traveled every Sunday to a different church. And it was a lot of fun, but it was a good privilege too. Bill Acton, your former pastor, used to sing in one of these quartets, as did Ed Harrell, I don't know where, back here, yeah, sang in a quartet, and, and it was just a lot of fun. And so we would go from church to church, and then in the summertime we would go to, uh, to camps all summer long, uh, singing for the college and for the Lord. During that period of time, I became very interested in quartet stuff. And so I began buying records and following the tracks of quartets around the country. And we used to travel from Rochester, New York, down to Columbus, Ohio, for what were called all-night sings. They would start about 7 or 8 o'clock in the evening and go until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and then we would head back to campus trying to get back for our 8 o'clock class. Not very smart, but a lot of fun. And uh, one of the groups that I enjoyed the most were called the Blackwood Brothers. You've probably, some of you, heard about them, unless you're not 70 years old. Uh, you, you probably never heard about them. But anyway, they had a guy in that by the name of J.D. Sumner. He was about 6'6". He was their bass, and he was excellent. And I just loved listening to this group. I bought all their records. I may still have them somewhere. And I loved the way they used microphones. You know, they... I, just the way they held them and the way they walked around the stage and the way they functioned together, 
It was like different than the way we did it. Like we just stood in a straight line, right? And we sang. But these guys, they were entertainers. So when I went back after going to one of these all-night sings, I said to the other quartet guys, you know, we need to try to function like the Blackwood Brothers. If we're going to ever amount to anything, we need to be like the Blackwood Brothers. Well, they resisted this, but I kept pressing it and pressing it until they finally said, okay, we'll try it. So we practiced, and we practiced, and we practiced. And we went down to Elkland, Pennsylvania, to a little free Methodist church down there, and we did a concert down there uh, imitating the Blackwood Brothers. And when we were all finished... Uh, we went to the back of the church and we greeted people as they went out. And one of the men who came by said, I don't know who you guys are trying to imitate, but you should quit it. <laughs> so much for that. We never did it again. But you know, it's interesting. If we, like, if we can't imitate a person, if we can't imitate a group, here comes the Apostle Paul and says to us, be imitators of God. I mean, give me a break, right? How are we ever going to get there? Well, Paul actually gives us some clues about it, which is good. And most of them are in chapter 4, but some of them are in chapter 5. But he starts out in chapter 4 by describing the difference between those who are followers of Jesus and those who he calls Gentiles or who are functioning out of self-interest. For instance, he says that those people are separated from the life of God, those who do not know God. They're hardened in their hearts regarding God, and they've lost sensitivity regarding God and regarding people. And he says they're living impure lives and lusting for more. But he says followers of Jesus are called not to this life, which is actually death, but we're called to a new life, a new standard, a standard set so high that it can be referred to as imitating God. The bottom line in this, he says, in the first verse of chapter 5, is that we're to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Um, now, how does this love, then, how does this bottom line actually work out in the way we live our lives? Well, Paul gives us some, some guidance in this. He, he says, for instance, in chapter 4, and verse 29, that we're to imitate God by our words, by the way we talk. He says in, chapter, in verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In verse 25, he had already said, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Well, that's an incredible verse of Scripture, isn't it? Several years ago, I was working at a camp. We were, we were building this camp in, the, in western New York uh, for the Free Methodist Church, and uh, we were there on a work team, and we were there in the morning, and in the morning, we took uh, uh, gallon pails and we filled them with concrete. And we set them out across the, the, the yard there. They were going to be anchors for the little boats that we had at the camp. And then we were building a retaining wall out of uh, brand new railroad ties. And we had, uh, we had tongs 
that we could hook into these railroad ties and pull them because if you've ever worked with a railroad tie, they're very heavy. Well, at lunchtime, we went in to have our lunch and we had sandwiches and stuff and I ate pretty fast and, and uh, I'm not much for breaks, so I, I went back out to work. I was all by myself. The rest of the people were inside uh, having lunch and talking with each other about various things and, and uh, I, I grabbed a hold of one of these railroad ties and I was pulling it up a, up a little hill and the, the, uh, the tong slipped off the railroad tie and I went flat on my back really fast and I landed in the small of my back right on one of those gallon pails that we had filled with cement in the morning. And I screamed. I mean, I just screamed. It hurt really bad. <clears throat> That's why I screamed. And <clears throat> so the people came out of the house and uh, the first thing that was said to me was, what did you do such a stupid thing for? That was a real blessing in my heart right there. And, and uh, not really, but the, the next person got down on their knees next to me and said, can you move your fingers? Can you move your legs? Do you, do you know that uh, studies show that it takes seven encouraging words to overcome one criticism? So if I criticize my wife, I've got to come up with seven good things just to get even. So you have seven strokes for one poke. Peter said, I have written briefly to encourage you. Paul told the Corinthians, Christ encourages you and his love comforts you. Maybe the greatest church consultant in American history is a man by the name of Lyle Schaller. He's on with the Lord now. But he, he wrote 28 books and he consulted with hundreds of churches across the United States and beyond. Uh, he was sort of the guru of church, uh, church blessings and church encouragements among those of us who wanted to know how a church should function. And in one of his books, he makes this statement, the number one need in congregations is encouragement. Isn't that amazing? The number one need in congregations is encouragement. You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. It's never been true, and it never will be true. The writer of the Proverbs, as paraphrased in the message, says words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Alexis Pilkington was a lovely, talented 17-year-old, a well-liked athlete who had already landed, uh, landed a soccer uh, scholarship to college. And in the wee hours of March 21, 2010, she made one last comment on her Facebook page, so done with everything, then she took her life. Her friends are convinced that what pushed her over the brink were the vicious, lewd comments posted online by anonymous classmates. It's probably true because even after she died, one vile hand continued the ugly words, she obviously is a stupid, depressed bitch who deserved to kill herself. She got what she wanted. Be happy for her death. 
rejoice in it. Before you send it, before you say it, before you roll your eyes when someone else says it, ask the question, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? If you can't answer yes to these questions, then let it die with you. You will not burst. Life is hard. We know that, don't we? I mean, is there anyone here who has never at times found life to be difficult? We need one another. We simply do. God called us and created us in community. And one of the things that he told us to do was to encourage one another. So Paul wrote, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Speak the truth in love. Otherwise, simply swallow it. Imitate Christ. As the writer to the Proverbs says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. You know, Janet and I have been in this place for five months. It's been incredible. And the reason it's been incredible is because of the encouragement of this congregation. Over and over and over again, you've stirred us on to love and good deeds, constantly pushing us forward, pushing us forward by encouraging words over and over and over again. We can't thank you enough. It's, it's kind of fun to come here. It is. And it's because of encouragement. I can just tell you that from personal experience, and you can tell the same thing from your personal experience, don't you like to be encouraged? Don't you like to be blessed? Don't you like to be affirmed? then do that same thing to others. Paul goes on and says that we are to imitate Christ by our attitudes. In verse 23, he says, you were taught to be made new in the attitude of your mind. You know, it's amazing. uh, Over the last uh, 10 or 12 days, we've watched uh, the devastation in Moore, Oklahoma. uh, Wondering, you know, about the people there and And how do they recover and so on and so forth. James Moody was one of the men who had a family in the path of that hurricane. And uh, he was at work. And he noticed on his uh, iPad that the hurricane was coming right through his neighborhood. So he left work and he made his way toward his home because he was concerned for his wife and his children. And... uh, he, had to, he couldn't get all the way by car, so he stopped his car and he walked the last distance. And when he got there, he discovered that his wife and his children and one other child had gotten into their backyard bunker and that they were safe, but the house was totally gone. He was interviewed on ABC News, and this is what he said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and he will help us and our community through this. That's a thinking pattern, you know. That's a way to view life. And it has a huge impact on our attitude 
about God, about each other, about life, about the church, about our nation, about the world. It just does. It has a huge impact. Thinking patterns equal our attitudes. Let this attitude, said Paul, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. The same verse, let this mind, in another translation, be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And guess what? What we think results in what we say. Mark Twain said, you know, I'm an old man who has known many troubles, most of which never happened. Well, we can create problems. We can create difficulties. We can cook up troubles or we can cook up solutions. We can cook up encouragements. Like if my wife does something that irritates me and I begin reflecting on it, thinking about it, it actually gets bigger. It, it becomes kind of ugly. And then I'm more likely to say something about it, and I'm more likely to say something in an unkind way. And when I do that, I not only grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but I hurt my wife. And if then she nurses the hurt and sets aside her rainbows and butterflies approach to life, thinking junky stuff, the attitude changes. Unwholesome words get spoken. And what good was there in it all? Nada. None. So it's better to imitate Christ, the one whom the Apostle Paul calls the divine yes. Don't you love that? Jesus is called in the Bible, in Corinthians, the divine yes. He is for us, and He encourages us. Here's a better way, declared the psalmist. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. What do we do? We extol, we praise. And when do we do that? All the time. And where do we do it from? From our mouths, from our lips. We speak praises to God all through the day. It changes our attitude. Paul put it simply this way in verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. That means to our children. It means to our spouse. It means to our neighbor. It need, means to our co-worker. It means to the people in the church. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Imitate God. Well, Paul has some further instruction. Actually, in verse 28, he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. That is, we are to imitate God by our giving. It comes out of our words and our attitudes, our giving. And Paul defines the high purpose of our work, that we may have something to share with those in need. Oh, I mean, I know we work for other things. We work so that we can have a nice house and we can get a better car and we can have some food on our table. But the highest value of work is that we may have something to share with those in need. Now, you and I know that we live in a tough economy. I was talking with a man this morning who has been looking for work for over a year. And it's hard. And there are many people 
who, who are in that kind of a situation. Uh, but but we, can, we can volunteer, uh, we can help, we can give our time, we can give our talents, we can give our treasures. The fact of the matter is, one of the top characteristics of God is that He gives. God so loved the world that He gave. And He gave. And He keeps giving. And giving. And giving. Don't you know that? I mean, we do, right? We receive. God keeps giving. It's what He does. I read about um, a missionary from Africa who was in a church telling his stories. He described the deep poverty and needs of the people. Like we heard a few weeks back when Aaron Cook and Kathy Johnson described the difficult situations there in Uganda. After the missionary spoke, uh, an offering was was received. They they did it African style. They had a big basket down in front here. And uh, people stood and they walked down the aisles and they gave their offerings there. And everyone participated, including a little seven-year-old boy who came up the aisle, reaching in his pockets, trying hard to find some money, and he didn't find any. And so when he got to the basket, he paused, and then he stepped into the basket and stood there. You see, when God has us, he has everything that we are and that we have. That's just the way it is. God spoke these incredible words. Jesus said them, Give to others and God will give to you. Indeed, you will receive a full measure, a generous helping poured into your hands all that you can hold. The measure you use for others is the same measure that God will use for you. So, what do we give to others? How generous are we? Like, do we give other people the benefit of the doubt like we give to ourselves? Or do we give mercy and grace to other people? I'm, I'm incredibly taken by the mercies and the long-suffering and the patience and the grace and the love of God. Almost every day when I get up, I I say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the mercies of God that are fresh every morning. Well, our mercies need to be refreshed on an ongoing basis so that when we're in conversation with people, we're expressing mercy. If I meet a woman who is assertive, and I really like her, I'll say, you know, she's bold and self-confident. If I don't like her, I'll call her arrogant and loudmouthed. If my best friend doesn't seem to keep things in the right place, I might refer to him as disorganized. But if this guy is my enemy, I might just call him a slob. You see, the measure you use for others is the same measure that God will use for you. There are a lot of people who go around in life and they've got a little Dixie cup. I mean, it hardly holds anything and they're kind of protecting it because they're afraid if something goes out of it, they won't have much left. And so they end up sometimes actually going through life hugging themselves 
A self-centered person ends up being a pretty small package, actually. But what about the people who go around and it's like they've got this big wash bug uh, uh, tub, like, like uh, bushel baskets and beyond. It's like everywhere they go, there's stuff spilling out of this big basket that they have because they're so in love with God and so in love with people that they just want to give and give and give. And so that's, I mean, you know people like this. You know people that have little Dixie cups and you know people who have big buckets. And they're spilling that out on everybody and you love being around them. And you kind of stay away from the people with the little Dixie cups because they don't even want you there anyway, probably. But uh, they're, they're small. Isn't it true? I mean, the measure you use for others is the same measure that God uses for you. The reason that giving people are so full of life and you like being around them so much is that the measure they're using is exactly the same measure that God is using in their lives. God is filling them over and over and over again. We can never outgive God. We can never go beyond His mercy, beyond His grace, beyond His love. But we can keep giving it away and giving it away and giving it away. And when we do, God keeps filling us and filling us and filling us. And it's wonderful. Imitate God by our words, by our attitudes, by our giving, and by our forgiving. Paul says in verse 32, Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Forgiving. The other day, uh, I don't know why, I, I, I was going through my wallet. And uh, I came across this little piece of paper here. It's a paper that uh, I recorded some stuff on from uh, one of the felons that was in my life skills class at the prison in our area. And uh, he had gotten out, and I had been working with him, and he needed a lot of help, and at least I thought he did. And so over a little period of time, I had loaned him $567.36. It's right here, all of the items that I loaned him for it, uh, along with other teachers in life skills who also loaned him money. We discovered after a little while that this guy was a really good con man. He was really good at it. The last time I saw him was when he was pulling out of my driveway in his brand new pickup truck uh, with some of my tools. And I came across this the other day. And uh, I looked at it <laughs> and I, I said, Heavenly Father, I forgive Todd. <laughs> you know? There's no sense carrying. After all, Jesus said, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. On October 2nd, 2006, Charlie Roberts IV walked into the one-room Amish schoolhouse in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and after shooting ten little girls, ages six to thirteen, he killed himself. Nine years before that, Charlie's wife Amy had given birth to a little girl, 
she only lived for 20 minutes. Speculators say that Charlie never forgave God and over time decided to take revenge, dismissing all the boys and shooting the girls. Of course, the nation and the world grieved over this and were shocked over this and cards came in and teddy bears came in and over $4 million was sent in to support the families who had lost their children. And what about the families of the stricken children? Well, they didn't blame. And they didn't point fingers. And there were no press conferences with attorneys at their sides. Uh, one of the grandfathers that afternoon expressed forgiveness toward the killer. That afternoon, families of the deceased children visited Charlie Roberts' family to support them in their sorrow and their pain. The Roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the little girls, and the funeral of Charlie Roberts himself was attended by more Amish than non-Amish people. One of the reporters in a news column said this reaction was unheard of. As Paul wrote in the passage on imitating God, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. How can it be? Like, how can our words bring healing and joy and encouragement? And how can our thinking patterns and attitudes reflect Jesus himself? And how can we focus life on giving, finding ways to help, to share, to build, to serve, to dig deep in our pockets. And how can we forgive? How can we never hold a grudge, never allow resentment to take hold of our hearts? Have you noticed that all of this is relational? God is focused on a holy, pure relationship with God and with people. That's what God wants, relationships. And there's only one way for this to come about. It requires a heart transplant. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Jesus illustrated it like this. No good tree bears bad fruit and nor does a bad tree produce good fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes nor grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the heart, the essence of who we are, the essence of our being. It is the heart. Above all else, wrote the writer to the Proverbs, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So I ask this question. I think the most important question that can be asked of a human being is your heart 
right with God now. We only live now. We only have these moments. Is your heart right with God? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, for words that we have spoken that are unkind, unnecessary, may be true, but not like you, may be spoken today, please, Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive me. For thinking patterns that can only be described as stinking thinking. Resulting in attitudes which are kind of sour, offline with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us. Forgive me. Um, for ways that we have uh, kept to ourselves what could easily have been shared with people in need. For words that we could have said that would have encouraged, but we just shrugged our shoulders and moved on. Forgive us. Forgive me. And Heavenly Father, for, for these uh, seeds of bitterness... Uh, Seeds of resentment that are trying to take root in our hearts. Things that have been really hard for us to forgive or that we've refused to forgive. Oh God, forgive us. Please forgive us and forgive me. And help us to release those to you. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you all. Amen.